Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, friends. It's the Movie Boom Podcast. Podcast. Enjoy the show. Zachy and Welcome to Movie Film. This is episode 109, brought to you by Mr. Boy Productions. My name is Zaki Hassan, and with me once again is my partner, Brian Hall. Hey, what's going on, Zaki? Man, Brian, it feels like I just talked to you, like, two days ago. I know, right? Weird. That's what happens. That's what happens when a Star Wars movie comes out. Forget it, Zaki. It's podcast in town. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But we're going to power on through. Yeah. Because it, it's the end of the year. Nobody listens at the end of the year. Yeah, right? You know. Nobody's listening. We can say whatever we want. We can say whatever we want. <laughs> Let's read our manifestos. I know we each have one. <laughs> now, if you're listening now, we just edited out all the things that we said because we realized <laughs> that we can't actually say them. It's like a little... And that wraps it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is it is end of the year time, and obviously... A lot of the awards bait type movies are coming out, and this this is our last show of 2016. Yeah, wow, it's crazy. This year kind of just snuck by us. Remember when we marveled at 2015? I know because of uh, you know looking forward to that our whole lives, <laughs> and then it's just like that is a couple years in the past now. Yeah, the the other day uh, I was watching uh, part of Terminator Salvation, which is set in 2018. Oh, funny. And I'm like, well, you know, that's just two years. Like, it's it's weird how one by one we're we're knocking off all the dystopian future dates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, but, but when is the Terminator? Like 2032? You know, 2029. Is that what it is? 2029. I think so. Yeah. That's like 11, 12 years away, dude. Yeah. Right. Well, it keeps <laughs> getting changed because, uh, you know, uh, Jay Courtney and whatnot. Yeah, Mike, Michael Bean got <laughs> turned into Jai Courtney thanks to the the time space continuum. Yeah, but that's anyway. okay. We we've got uh, uh, we 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 spent the full ninety minutes uh, uh, earlier this week talking about Rogue One, but of course there's plenty of other stuff to cover. Lots yeah, well, of awards bait type movies that are out now. I was just about to say. Speaking of awards bait, <laughs> here are the the movies I've just seen. Which is funny that that's uh, that term, right? Like it, it, it almost seems like that's something that you would, it, when it was new, it was like sort of like an insult or whatever. But it's like, no, yeah, award awards bait, December. I like, mean, that's well, it's just kind of what these movies are. We we've talked about this before. How one one of the perks of both your and my professions is that we get loaded down with screeners for all the big, so again, the, the contender type movies. 
Yeah. And and the first world problem we have really is just trying to find the time to watch them all. Because, yeah, they, it's like a pile of them. And it's it's funny when we say awards bait. That's when it, they do not succeed. But the other ones are worthy of awards, and that's why they wait till the end of the year. But like you say, it's a, it's a hard to get through all of them. And you want to see all of them to you know, sort of keep up with the, the conversation and uh, award things as they come up because you – yeah. But uh, anyway, some of them are worth it, some of them aren't. But I'll start with one that I really liked – which I wasn't sure. It seemed uh, an uncertainty, but Hacksaw Ridge, yes, which was directed by Mel Gibson, and it's and when they first started, uh, well, it's a uh, story takes place in World War II, and it's about uh, it's a true story about Desmond T. Doss, who, due to his religious beliefs, decided that he didn't want to carry a gun. Period, in World War II, and uh, when I saw this trailer, I thought it was interesting because the story. I was hooked by the concept and whatnot, but and I knew it was directed by Mel Gibson, but it seemed like they were keeping him out of the advertising. At Understand, first. understandably so. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And so I, I just sort of wondered. It's interesting, right? Like, I mean, this is a movie that has a really, uh, I, I think, uh, a, a true story that we haven't heard before. That's like a whole new idea about like a conscientious objector in World War II who uh, became one of the you know received one of the highest honors. Um, uh, but then it's like it also has this whole sort of thing where it's like, well, how do you feel about the filmmaker? You know, and I think I've read on Facebook some people feeling sort of conflicted about wanting to see it and not feeling that they could support him and whatnot. And anyway, just throwing that out there because what I'm going to say about it has nothing to do with the filmmakers. Just the film alone. Um, I really like this movie. Have you sure. seen it? I, I haven't seen it. And, and part of that is because I've, I've been sitting on this screener dealing with the exactly the, the stuff that you're, t- you're talking about. Yeah, which I completely respect. And and for anyone who doesn't end up seeing it, I completely respect. But I have to say that just as a film, as a story, I thought what they took what could have been kind of a corny, you know, not feel good movie, but like sort of a celebrating, you know, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It, It could have been very hokey. And I thought they did a really good job of showing what a what a hellstorm war is and what it a crazy thing it was for this guy to decide to enter that unarmed. And it's Andrew Garfield, by the way. Right? Andrew Garfield. Yeah. And but friend, but friend he, of the show, Andrew Garfield. Oh, actually, no, because we never, we didn't play his audio, if you remember. Oh, right, because of... I had, uh, yeah. I had audio issues, but he's... <laughs> I feel like it's like my imaginary friend. No, no, I met him, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's great in this. I What I'm trying to say is he's had there's a, a bad year. version of this movie. And this is, you know, it's like the made-for-TV, almost like Hallmark Channel movie about, like, the nice guy thrown into a war. But uh, this is a really, really good take on this well, story, and I, I mean, really admired... Oh, I'm sorry? No, I mean, I, just, just to echo what you're saying, I mean, y- you have Mel Gibson make a war movie, it's going to be a well-made movie. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was it uh, on South Park several years ago. They're like, the guy may be crazy, but the son of a bitch knows story structure. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's true. It's true. I mean, it's an excellent, well-made movie, well-acted movie, and I thought they did the story and the man uh, justice. And it really, you you leave it thinking like, man, this is a guy who had principles, and he just in the face of all this stuff did not weigh from them. And it kind of made me like <laughs> look at myself and you know, sort of like, man, what do I have the the gumption to respect my values and my principles? 
to this sure. degree. You know, it's sure. it's uncomfortable at times watching it, but he do, he never wavers, and it's knowing that it's a true story and all these things that he accomplishes, and it's 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 a very encouraging, inspiring, uplifting movie. So. Made um, by a raving anti-Semite. Now, how do we, how do we connect those? This is, I mean, that's that's the that's like I said earlier. I mean, that's been sort of people say you have to separate the art from the artist, and we've had this conversation. But I'm I'm always like, you know, I I don't know if I can do that. Do I feel comfortable admiring somebody's work whose views are so horrible? You know, right. So that's that's a challenge, and like like you said, I mean, it's it's that's a sort of a decision that everyone viewing the thing has to make and for some people it's easier than others this is how it is but yeah that's that's been my challenge anyway i it, like i said and i completely respect it and uh all i can do right now is just say what i thought about the film itself and that's i thought it was very well done and i thought it was really good well speaking of andrew garfield you also saw silence i saw silence yeah which is i feel like a little bit under the radar it does feel like right? it. For, for a scorsese movie certainly yeah i don't even know when it's coming out to be honest um, I assume Christmas Day or something. Yeah. But uh, this is, a, yeah, another Andrew Garfield movie. Uh, it's interesting with this one. And the, the plot of this is, true story again. Um, uh, oh, man. Shoot. I don't have it in front of me. The year. It's like 16th century, I want to say. Something like that. But uh, in Japan, this uh, Catholic missionary, uh, played by Liam Neeson, goes missing. And then uh, over at the Vatican, they've heard that he has renounced his faith. So these two young priests, played by Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield, decide that they either want to go and see if he's still alive, A, and B, if he is alive and has renounced his faith, they want to try to, you know, save their mentor spiritually. And so they set out uh, over there and they find that there are all these uh, Japanese Christians living in hiding because if they are discovered by, you know, the Inquisitor who goes around and, you know, it's his job. He goes around and finds these people and weeds them out. And if he finds them, he either makes them renounce their faith or he executes and tortures them. So, uh, the thrust of that is, you know, very interesting and, uh, easily compelling, but it's, it's such a difficult movie. People have asked me if I liked it and I honestly don't know what to tell them. (laughs) It's, Hmm. uh, and it's funny because I noticed that critics, when I was reading critics' takes on this before I even saw it myself, it seemed like they were saying, it's great, it's great, and then sort of apologizing for it at the end. Sure. I noticed that several times, and I totally understood that after I saw it because the story is very interesting. I feel like I got a little insight into history that I didn't know anything about. It's very well made. It's very well acted, but it is very slow. Okay. Like very, very deliberately slow. And I think... This isn't for the casual viewer. <laughs> like, you have to be all in for this. Okay. Um, whether it's for the filmmaker or whether it's for the story. And even my brother and I had interest in this for both reasons. And it was it was tough, honestly. It was, it was tough. But it's very true to itself. And it's very well made. And I don't know. It's going to be for some people. It's not going to be for others. And I can't even tell you. Like, I, I think I respect it more than I actually enjoyed it. Um, because everything was so well done, but at the same time, it, it was it was tough at times to to to, to get through it. So I don't know. Right. It's, well, a, it's an interesting one. I'll be curious to hear what you uh, say if you see it. That, that's been, I mean, I had the opportunity to, to attend a screening a few weeks ago, and it, that was the biggest thing. Was it was I mean, it's close to three hours, right? And and it know, feels it honestly. 
Yeah, and and it's weird how I mean, uh, that just feels so overwhelming sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. The, having to get through that. So I, I do plan to see it at some point. But uh, again, lo- got a long list of other things I'm trying to trying to get caught up on also before the before uh, uh, the Oscars before the nominations are announced. Yeah, I'd say unless you're like a dedicated Scorsese, like you do not miss his films, I'd, I'd say there are other ones you could put in front of this one on yeah. your list. Um, also saw Allied. Okay, this, which, so this is this is the Robert Zemeckis movie that just kind of came and went. Mr. and Mrs. Smith in World War II. With, <laughs> the uh, Brad prequel Pitt and Mary to Cotillard. Mrs. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even need to tell you plot. That's the plot. And, uh, you know, two spies, uh, he's told that his wife is a German spy and. He needs to, you know, discover it, and then he's gonna have to kill her by his own hand, and you know, whatever. I, I gotta say, when I saw this trailer, I was a little like, uh, I don't know. The only thing that got me into this because the story felt familiar, a and b, there was just no mm, to it. There was no punch to it. There was something missing in the the trailers for me. But as longtime listeners of the show know, you and I are complete Robert Zemeckis fanboys. That's true. Um, he's got whatever he puts out, I'm going to watch. So even though this movie seemed to come out with very little fanfare, um, I was going to see this and, uh, I'm sad to say that, yeah, I was pretty underwhelmed by it. Really? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. That seems to be the consensus. Yeah. There's something just very flat about the whole affair. I mean, Mm. the acting, the, I, I, it's crazy to even say this, but the cinematography, which is one of the hugest reasons we love Zemeckis, like his his camera work, it's just feels very, very flat. And there's a lot of intrigue and mystery about is she or isn't she? And there's these, you know, as you go through, there are these little beats about him trying to discover this. And they just play out so episodically and underwhelmingly. And, um, you know, when it all comes down to the end, it's, you know, it's interesting. But I just have to say as a whole, that, yeah, this movie was... Just, yeah, pretty underwhelming. And also, I thought it really highlighted all of Brad Pitt's weaknesses as an actor. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, he just does not meld into that time period at all. Um, And, you know, he's surrounded by all, you know, Marion Cotillard. She plays like the perfect, like, woman you fall in love with who you think wants to kill you. But she's really nailed that from Inception and like all these other, you know, Dark Knight Rises and whatnot. But, um, yeah, he's just surrounded by these really great, interesting actors and he just sort of stands out he just he never blends in that's a shame so yeah kind of i was really disappointed with that one but uh anyway but i saw also uh, nocturnal animals which is one that i saw mostly because of how good i had heard it was i sure. didn't have a huge interest in it it's from uh, tom ford who uh, wrote and directed it adapted it from a novel it stars jake gyllenhaal and amy adams yeah and the plot of this one is it's kind of uh, interesting. It's sort of like dual stories going on where Jake Gyllenhaal is an estranged husband to Amy Adams who's gone on, lived her life for the next 20 years or so, and she gets a manuscript that he's written and he wants her to read it. So you are tracking with her in the present, but you're also, half the film is the book that he wrote. I see. And it's, um, I mean, I won't really get into the story, but it's, she begins to wonder how it's been inspired by their previous experiences. And I've heard a lot of people compare this movie to Hitchcock. Okay. Which I sort of get, and I'm going to be honest and maybe I'll look like an idiot, but I sort of don't. (laughs) Okay. Um, I, I see there's a little bit of suspense and whatnot in it, but it mostly played out 
I don't want to call it a Western, but it, it takes place in the South and you have this sort of sheriff, old school sheriff like uh, caricature played by Michael Shannon, who is who is the best thing in the movie. As okay. he tends to be a lot. Of he, I was about to say that you, that applies to many Michael Shannon performances. Yeah, and it's basically about you know the the people in the story are wronged, and Michael Shannon is the person who you know is a little muddy as the uh, the law and willing to possibly help them do nefarious things to you know right the wrongs and whatnot. And so you're following that story, and you're following Amy Adams in the present, trying to figure out what it all means. And it's it's a really hard movie again like i feel like this is what i'm saying about all of them but it's a hard movie to say if i liked or not because i again i really respected it and i really i thought the writing it accomplished what it wanted to accomplish but a lot of it is very unpleasant sure and you know you can things don't have to be pleasant i mean a great movie can be unpleasant and so i can commend it for accomplishing what it wanted to accomplish but by the end i was just I didn't know how I felt about it. And so I actually went and read a lot about it. And I listened to a podcast, you know, interviewing uh, Tom Ford, Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith. Oh, which is and a great, great podcast. By great. The way. Highly recommended. Um, and I found myself liking it more the more I heard him talk about it. Sure. So that, that seems like a lot of homework you to need to do. Yeah. And I, I think... Um, I think people who are looking for something off the beaten path and don't mind something that's a little grimy... Um, I think they're going to find something to enjoy with this. And okay. and there's parts of me that enjoys movies like that. And I, that used and I, to be my pickup line, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I, I do think it's really well done and I would recommend it to certain people, but I don't think it's for everybody again is what I'm, okay. uh, what I'm so, going to go with. So this is, this is, this is, uh, uh Brian's, uh, tepid movie reviews. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So far. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, Really well done, really well acted. Um, I, again, the the whole novel part of it, I you truly have no idea where it's going, and that's what makes it a really compelling watch. Just trying to figure out where it's all going. Um, and then what else? I had one more. Oh, the founder. Founder. Yeah. Yes. The uh, let's see who made this. John Lee Hancock, who did the Blind Side, which I'll be honest was not a turn on. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. So I, I kind of had a thing in my head where I was like, oh, it's going to be this thing. You know, like this sort of very by the number sort of feel good kind of biopic thing, which it is not. <laughs> it's it's uh, it stars Michael Keaton as uh, Ray Kroc, who is quote unquote the founder of McDonald's. Right. And what's that? I'm I'm agreeing with you. Yes. Yes. And uh, what I thought was really interesting about this movie is I had no idea about the story of one of the most popular food chains in America, let alone the world. And there's something that is, it basically this is the social network for McDonald's. I, yeah, that's, I, I haven't seen this yet, but, but that's the sense I get. I, I remember, I feel like we talked about, like back when this was first announced, we talked about it on this show mm -hmm. and you and I both were kind of like, this is like the behind the scenes story of McDonald and Michael Keaton. Like I'm interested. I think we both kind of had a similar reaction. Mm -hmm. And I, this was my favorite of the bunch, honestly. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed, honestly, I know I'm going to say, I was about to say the history lesson, even though I'm talking about a fast food restaurant, but it is, I mean, it's, it's again, it's part of a huge part of American culture and it's really interesting to see how McDonald's became that. 
Sure. Right. Like when you had burger stands all over the country, but why did McDonald's rise to prominence like it did? And that this movie, you know, covers that. It covers the original true founders of it. And I'm not giving anything away. That's in the, the trailer. But Ray Kroc was the person who figured out how to, much like someone like Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg, he figured out how to send it into the stratosphere. Right. And it's about the complicated relationship between those guys. And uh, Michael Keaton, Nick Offerman, John Carroll Lynch, all three are really, really good. Uh, in this movie, and I just found myself with it the whole way through. Um, this this feels like it should be a performance that's getting more conversation, but uh, you know nobody's really talking about this as an Oscar level performance from Michael Keaton. Yeah, it's I'm not hearing anything about it at all. Yeah, right. The film, uh, and I understand because it's not as I don't know cinematic necessarily as say something like the social network or all these other films I've talked about, but I just found the journey of it pretty interesting and the drama of it pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not as hard edged as people would like, like award award voter type people or whatnot. But I think uh, a lot of people will find uh, it, it pretty interesting. And even if it doesn't become a hit in theaters, I mean, if people stream it or check it out on, you know, Redbox or something like that, I think, I think it's a, an interesting and an enjoyable two hours. Okay, so that's the founder. Yeah. Well, I saw uh, a new release uh, that's that's coming out. By the time you are listening to this, it will be out. Uh, it is uh, Passengers, mm-hmm. and this is the new sci-fi movie starring Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, and it's directed by Morton Tildum. I think we talked about the trailer uh, of about mm-hmm. this of this a few weeks ago, and. Uh, um, I don't know, man. I, I, <laughs> it's, it's always a good sign, right? When you start your conversation. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's it's funny because when we talked about it, I, you know, the, the the premise of the film is that you have this generational colony ship. Mm-hmm. Not generational. It's a, it's a colony ship where every five thousand people are in hibernation for a one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty year journey to another planet. Mm-hmm. So about 30 years in, uh, there's a malfunction and Chris Pratt's pod pops open. Mm-hmm. So he's all alone. Now, uh, per the, the, the trailers, they're leaving out the, the, tra- the trailers are sort of pussyfooting around what is kind of the major plot turn. I feel like this is not a spoiler based on how it's presented in the film. So I'm just going to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if, if any of you are concerned about being spoiled about this film, I would suggest maybe jumping ahead five minutes. I don't think this is a spoiler, but just be caveat emptor. We're not going to do the spoiler thing right now, but, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, so essentially he's alone for like a year and he's going out of his mind with, you know, just being alone. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he sees Jennifer Lawrence. Remember I predict this, by the way, this is. This uh-huh. was, uh, he sees her and he falls in love with her and he essentially, he falls in love with, you know, what she looks like and he watches her like interview footage to get on the ship and just, he reads up about her and everything. He, he you know, and, and so he's, he essentially pops open her pod mm-hmm. and he forces her out of hibernation. Okay. Okay. So that's the essential plot turn is him doing this thing. And now they're. Uh, and and so essentially she's like oh my gosh my pod malfunctioned and you know she starts to fall in love with him and then eventually she she's gonna you know find out 
right. that it wasn't a malfunction, right? Mm-hmm. So the problem I had with this film is that Chris Pratt's character is... There's no way to justify what he does. Right. Like in, like in narrative terms. I mean, you, you understand... Let me rephrase. You can understand it. Like, that's the, the, the lead up to that. But there's no way to come back from that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Because he's, he's dooming a person for their, the Ex- rest of their life. Exactly, right? right. So So, in essence... He stalks her, manipulates her, and rapes her. Mm-hmm. Because it's you know, I mean, it's it's sick when you think about it. Like, like let's remove the sci-fi context from it and put it in in sort of the real world, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I I I found that deeply disturbing. Interesting, right? And the film. Here's here's what irked me about it. it this is a, a, a an interesting moral quandary. So I'm, I, you know, I've said all along that, the, and you know this, like we talked about this before. Fine, let's give us the truthful ending based on this. Well, when you've spent whatever this movie cost, I mean, it wasn't cheap. You can't have a movie like this be especially, you know dire or dark or, mm-hmm. or or something that the premise would sort of call for so you have like this like asteroids have dis- have damaged the ship and now these two ha- are forced to so if she finds out and she's like don't friggin' talk to me you you lunatic you know mm-hmm. and then now they have to like work together to uh, to keep the ship from getting destroyed right and so now it's you know she realizes how great he is and they like fall hmm. back in love, you know, and 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 I'm just like, no, you can't do that, you know, <laughs> like right, like uh, my thing is like the the set the 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 plot turn is fine, but you don't get to end the film with these two being together because that's because that's messed up, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't matter how likable Chris Pratt is because of course Chris Pratt is likable, mm-hmm. but. You know you can't you can't justify that, and so so to me, what irked me is that this this outside factor that happens, like oh the ship is gonna get ruined or whatever, that's like the the it's like the writers don't know how to solve that problem, how how mm. to solve the moral problem, right? So they give themselves a way out. I wonder, it's it's interesting. I just saw today that Entertainment Weekly gave this movie a D. Oh, really? I didn't see which, that. Okay. Which is totally surprising to me. Wow. Uh, I didn't, as someone I didn't who hasn't see that. seen it. Sure. And especially because this script has been praised for like the past 10 years in this town. Yeah. It's written by John Spates, I think. Yeah. Right? Who's gotten like so much work because of this script. Yeah. He wrote so, Prometheus. The, what became Prometheus. Right. And it makes me wonder, I've never read it myself, but I wonder... Even just the general premise, like the first, what it sounds like the first 30 pages or so, you didn't like. Like you felt conflicted about. So that's interesting in, well, in and of itself but, to me. But, but I also wonder if they softened the ending or changed the ending or tried to fix it in some my, way. My, know, understanding, it, my understanding is that the ending in the film is not the ending in the original script. I haven't read the original script. Right. But that's that's what I've been led to believe. I, I'm, I don't necessarily have a problem with the the central conceit of the plot 
but you can't paper over it is my point. I see. I see. That's why it made it feel worse to you. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not it's not that the character does it cuz okay, fine. That's the story you're presenting. Fine, fair enough, but follow through on that in a way that feels re- redemptive. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, I don't know. It's it's it raises a lot of questions and and it it what what hits me what really struck me is how her character is robbed of her of her agency. Mm-hmm. And so she's you know, she she her function in in the script is to be a, a victim, right? And there's there's no way to undo that. Mm-hmm. Right, and so so we can we can look at it from Chris Pratt's perspective, like like you put yourself in the character's perspective, and and you can you can you can understand the desperation and everything else, but I, I think you know that's an unconscionable thing that he does, and we, he never truly faces the consequence of that. I'm not saying the character should you know die horribly or something like that, but but I think that they're trying to position the film as a romance. And I'm like, well, this is, this, it's like, it's not a romance. I mean, it's, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm sort of, I'm trying to avoid spoilers, but I, I, th- that central thing, I'm not considering that a spoiler because that's the whole movie hinges on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't read the entertainment weekly review though. I haven't seen rotten tomatoes at all, but, uh, wow. D I didn't, I didn't realize that. I will say it has a terrific production design. I mean, I think it's, it's never visually, uh, boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it's just th- the thorny, you know, the issues that it raises. Right. So right. That, that that was my that was my problem. Are you are you planning on seeing it? I will eventually. Yeah. yeah. I. It was to me. It was one of those big w- winter movies. Like, oh well, looking forward to seeing you know Star Wars and Passengers, and, and then the trailers I found a bit underwhelming. Something yeah. about them seemed a little lacking some punch or whatever. But. Uh, then hearing all these reviews, I'm like, oh, I did not expect this. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't expect that either. To be honest, I, yeah, I, you know, yeah, I don't know that I'd give it a D, but I, it's not. I wouldn't recommend it. It's, it didn't really stay with me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's Passengers. Uh, there is another movie that's out right now called La La Land, and it's directed by Damien Chazelle, and it has uh, music by Justin Hurwitz. It stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Who I met a few months ago, by the way. Did I mention? Yeah, that that's right. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember if I mentioned it on this show, but yeah, one of the one of the cool perks of of doing what I do is uh, we occasionally have uh, actors come through town, and there's like special receptions just for us critic types. So uh, I got I got my selfie with Emma Stone, which I have to admit, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. She's super cool, by the way. She seems like it. She seems like she'd be a really cool kid sister. <laughs> that's that's what that's the vibe I get from her. I'm like, ah, that'd be cool if she was like my my kid's sister. She she's exactly like she seems. Yeah, that's you know, which isn't always true with with a lot of people you talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Damien Chazelle, of course, directed Whiplash, which I know you you enjoyed quite a bit. Yeah, one of my favorites from last year. So I'm I'm surprised you haven't had a chance to see La La Land yet. Yeah, I, I I mean it's it's up there on the ones that I I will eventually see over the holidays for sure. Well, it's a, it's a musical, and mm-hmm. uh, I I really enjoyed it. I I'm finding that the reaction is sort of wildly vacillating between people loving it and hating it. Hmm. That's that's what I'm tending to see. I I liked it. I 
I, I wouldn't say I was in love with it, but I, I think it's really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not in any way a, a musical aficionado, mm-hmm. but I, I liked this. Nice. Uh, but I had a chance to talk to Damien Chazelle and Justin Hurwitz a couple months ago when they were in San Francisco about making the film and about uh, the process behind it. Now, now for those of you who don't know, it, it stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone as two struggling artists. Uh, uh, Gosling is a struggling jazz musician. Emma Stone is a struggling actor. And they're both trying to make it in Hollywood. And uh, it, it's it's set in the present, but it has a very sort of 1950s feel to it. Mm-hmm. And they, they do some interesting stuff with it. So uh, we talked about that. We talked about some of the, the musical numbers and about the scoring and what went into it. So let's go ahead and play my interview with Damien Chazelle and Justin Hurwitz. Can you talk about the logistics of the opening uh, song and dance number on the on the highway, which I think is just like one of my favorite sequences in a movie this year. I mean, how, did, how elaborate did you have to plan to pull that off? Uh, it was... Uh... <laughs> it was yeah. I think it was like this uh, this sequence that like hung hung like a cloud over everyone <laughs> towards the like lead up to making it because it was because it was it, it wasn't going to be easy to pull off and it it, it was also you know at, at part of the fun of it but also part of the challenge was that you know um, it was a kind of sequence that we needed to you know do in the in the spirit of some of the older musicals we've been talking about, but those musicals were shot on, on, you know, for the most part on back lots and, and, and against painted sets. Um, this was going to be a real freeway and, uh, uh, with real traffic going underneath it. And so, um, so it was, it was that kind of the gambit was like, let's see if this can actually work in a, in a more or less real environment, you know? Um, and so that, that's, that's what I liked about, you know, about doing it and, and about some of the very, the wider kind of angles you get towards the end of that number that you, yeah, you're seeing the sort of very staged choreography and, and, and cars that are obviously very designed and staged, but underneath you're seeing three or more lanes of traffic going that are, that's just a documentary, basically, you know? So you separate one part of the frame, you have a documentary, another part of the frame you have as far from a documentary as you can get. Um, so I, I uh, so that was exhilarating to me. It, it created a lot of headaches for our line producer and for uh, uh, all the people in charge of the logistics. Um, um, but it was an easy pass ramp that we were able to convince LA, you know, the city of LA, to shut down. Um, we shot on a weekend, Saturday and Sunday, um, and uh, and so you know, kind of like before dawn, all the cars were kind of put into place, and then right at dawn, we started. We'd start rehearsals, and then right once the light was good, we'd start shooting, um, and we did that for the you know two consecutive days until until the light ran out, um, and uh, um, and all the things that happen in a real environment that threaten to fuck you up, you know, uh, like happened for like clouds. Uh, the second day it was cloudy until midday, and the song's called Another Day of Sun, so we're like really bummed out about that. Um, and then there's a moment, you know, halfway through the number where a truck, you know, a sort of climactic moment where a truck door has to open at a certain time, and of course the truck door decided to, after working fine in rehearsal, decided to not work anymore. And so we had to have people like holding a pulley behind the truck uh, maybe you were even one of them, Justin. I don't know, but like it was like literally like it wasn't just crew guys. Like our producers had to like get involved. We had to have everyone on hand pulling like these ropes behind the truck, cueing it to cueing it to open with when this guy looks like he's opening it on screen. Um, so all these things that like are just part of byproducts of you know shooting in an uncontrolled, somewhat uncontrolled environment that you just have to 
go by. So it's it's it, it was a nerve wracking experience shooting it, but but uh, but it was kind of like I wouldn't ha I kind of wouldn't have it any other way. Like, why did you incorporate the tropes and style of like mid century musicals to tell a story about today? Uh, I think I mean in a way that was part of the that was part of the idea was uh, I mean not specific I guess not as period specific as that but just just you know that you look at this genre that for whatever reason yeah did go out of style um, you know after the you know basically after the 60s and uh, at least for a while um, and so you look at it from the you know 30s through the 50s or through the 60s and and you know movies that Justin and I loved and try to you know we're sort of asking ourselves what can these movies teach us about today and what um, what what is it about them that actually could apply today, you know? And I think, um, I think it's actually in a way, you know, sort of, I, I, I think because the genre had, you know, sort of a hard time uh, after the 60s, you know, it's, it's, it's thought of as this sort of old fashioned genre, but it's really not. There's really like a, a there's, there's, there's sort of a defiance and a willfulness to break rules that's sort of inherent to the genre, this idea that, you know, that emotions can, can, can justify breaking into song or breaking into dance that to me feels, um, in a way, to me, it seems like it'll always feel modern. Um, it's just about how you approach it, you know? Um, and, um, and I think what has made the musical feel old fashioned, uh, in, you know, recent decades has just been, just been everything just kind of getting heavy and laden with effect and affectation. Um, so we thought that if you could just kind of cut through that and just get to the simplicity of two people dancing because they're in love or two people singing because they're in love or someone singing because, uh, her heart's been broken, you know, that, that, that there could just be a simple emotional through line like that and you set it in today's world, you, you cast people who an audience can go on the ride with, you shoot it in real locations in a real city, that if you could just do that, um, then, um, and, 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 and didn't try to chase fads, didn't try to make the music feel like, you know, uh, uh, like it was aping what stuff you hear on the radio today, you know, didn't, didn't make any of that feel like it was trying to chase any specific kind of time. Um, that it would feel current, that it would feel timeless, it would feel that it would feel like it was made for today. That was at least the sort of the, the hope. And we were also trying to make sure it didn't feel like an old-fashioned movie either. So, you know, one of my biggest challenges with the music was just making sure that, you know, I'm certainly inspired by all sorts of, you know, we're both inspired by the same musicals. A lot of those are, all of those are older musicals for the most part. Um, but at the same, t but at the same time, making sure that the songs don't feel like they were actually written in the fifties or sixties or forties. Um, you know, certain approaches, um, we've taken, you know, that were taken back then, like all the music is orchestral. There's nothing electronic, um, outside of the one pop song in the movie. Um, so that's definitely an older approach. Um, you know, and something that brings a warmth and a humanity to the score in the songs, I think. Um, but just from a compositional standpoint and, you know, an orchestration standpoint, um, it, it was our goal not to sound like an old fashioned musical to, to sort of be inspired by what we love, but also make something that just sort of feels like its own thing. And in that way, hopefully feels modern or, um, or not from any particular time, just, you know, kind of a new, a new piece. And there are... Um, a few just really, um, I don't know, magical melodies uh, in the songs, um, simple stuff that 
uh, in my experience and uh, talking to musicians, uh, those melodies that are so simple and yet so kind of classic, or you just kind of find them, or they find you. They don't, you can't really engineer them. Um, was that your experience in, in writing these songs? I think some of those melodies are really great. Yeah, thank you. Um, Damien and I spend uh, a lot of time, um, um, you know, working on finding the, the melodies and the themes of a movie, and I think this is a process um, that we do have done in the past um, and will do whether it's a musical or not, just because we, we believe that, you know, movies... W- should have themes, whether it's the main theme of the movie or in the case of a musical song melodies that really stick with you. And um, and it's not easy to find those melodies um, for me or for, I, I think, a lot of composers. So we go through many, many, you know, I, I send him many piano demos and we go over mm-hmm. a lot of things until one just strikes him as that is one that I believe is going to, you know, stick with people. Um, and when, you know, I... Damien um, says says no to a lot of a lot of a lot of my melodies, but when one finally sticks, when he says that's the one, you know, I'm the first one to recognize. I'm glad we it took 25 tries to get there. Other melodies um, came, you know, faster. Like the audition melody was, um, thank you. That that was actually sort of my first try at that. Um, so some some of the melodies um, take longer than others. Um, I do think that melody is not really something you can teach. Um, it's just kind of um, an instinct for the way notes follow each other and the way that that music can unfold in a narrative way. Um, so um, in that sense, like you say, I think it does, it is kind of um, inside you. Um, in, in some ways, but um, but our process is actually a very long process in terms of you know find, in terms of actually deciding on the melodies that we believe in strongly enough to put in a movie. So the the morning uh, that I watched La La Land, I watched that in the afternoon. That morning, I screened that thing you do for my students, <laughs> which is Tom Everett Scott. It was essentially the right. Love that movie. Yeah. Well, so so mere hours later, here's Tom Everett Scott. Twenty years later, sitting in the jazz club again. Is that just remarkable coincidence? Well, no. I mean, I I, I certainly I became a big fan of Tom Everett Scott through that thing you do, um, and. Uh, uh, but then I, I've loved him as an actor um, ever since then. So I was just kind of, I was really, I was sort of like a little fanboy, I think, when I, when I actually like found out he might actually be willing to do this movie. Um, and, uh, and actually, funny enough, Emma and Ryan were the same. They, they I, did, I didn't, I, you know, for me, growing up as a drummer, that thing you do had a special importance in one of the few movies that highlighted the drummer in the band, you know? Um, but uh, I didn't expect it to kind of mean that much to Emma and Ryan. And then Emma, at some point during prep, like asked me, like, "Oh, so who's uh, who's playing um, my husband at the, at the end of the movie?" And I said, "Oh, well, I don't know. You probably haven't worked with his. His name is Tom Everett Scott." And so she just stops me and immediately goes, "That thing you do." <laughs> and then like, and then like she's like says, "Ryan, guess who's playing my husband?" And she's like, "Tom Everett Scott." And Ryan's like, "That thing." 
thing you do. And they just like quote the movie for the entire shoot. They probably like drove. They might have drove Tom crazy because they were even big bigger fanboys than I was. Yeah. So no, I'm. Uh, I love that movie, and apparently a lot of other people do too. It's a great film. Yeah. Well, that's that. And uh, like I said, La La Land is playing in theaters right now. It's doing pretty well. So I would expect that that's going to get some traction come Oscar time. Yeah, probably. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> so uh, a couple of listener letters, Brian. We haven't we haven't read letters in a while, so I figured yeah. uh, we can cycle through some of these. Uh, so this is from Tyler Kloster, and he asks, uh, could you describe what the press screening of a movie is like for the benefit of us rubes who will never get to attend one? <laughs> How packed are they? Do critics and reviewers take notes in a notebook or on a laptop? Are the lights up somewhat to accommodate people taking notes? Do you eat? What kind of info does the studio provide you in advance? That's interesting. I, yeah. Now, now you, you've attended press screenings, right? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're like regular screenings. Yeah, I found some... I've gone to a few that have taken place at, say, like an AMC, you know, and they just have, like, one theater designated, and you have to have, you know, like a pass to get in and whatnot, and it's just like a totally normal screening. Right. But then I've been to other ones where it's been like because those have been like larger theaters and i think some of it is press and some of it is you know they invite some people in advance or some people win something maybe and get to go and so it's they don't make a big production out of it it's just the movie plays and you know you whatever but then i've been to other ones where it's been like total press screening and like everyone there is from somewhere and then they talk oh i write for this i do for that and yeah like the the notepads i've seen a couple notepads so it's they've kind of varied the ones that i've been to yeah, so it's, for you? it's well, so so usually uh, the the ones that I go to, uh, you know, it's it's uh, promotional screenings uh, and, and there's there's a special section for press. Mm hmm. Right. Mm. So, so it's the stuff yeah. where like call, you know, this, this number and, you know, you'll get a free pass to a screening yes. of this. Right. And it's all and that's like a promotional expense for the studio. And then for us, it's like we just let them know we'll be there and they they hold like however many seats you know for you and your guest or whatever and so it's not like it's like a regular screening except that it's uh, you know you're not paying to see it um and I, I personally don't take notes i know that i have colleagues who do mm-hmm. uh it's it's interesting because because i'm kind of like this is more my personal approach but i'm i i prefer to write my review based on the stuff that stays with me mm-hmm so and I, I'd rather just concentrate on the movie rather than be jotting stuff down. Yeah, but that makes sense. I would assume as I get older, that'll become <laughs> <laughs> that'll become more essential probably. But for now, that's my approach. But yeah, people, right? The, the lights are you know, it's like theater lights, like so, normal. Yeah, yeah. So. And then uh, you get popcorn and coke, right? Uh, not for free. I've been to several where you get a popcorn and coke for us they're like you got to watch the movie for free so shut your yapper really and sit tight yeah yeah i've had like a little they give you like a little ticket or something and you go to the line give them the ticket oh that's kind of nice yeah well la di da <laughs> um well so so i hope that answers the question is this uh, regular screenings we're just yeah. regular folks just like you <laughs> uh, now we do have a couple comments about our commentary we, the, we had our Empire Strikes Back commentary that we dropped two weeks ago Or no, not two weeks ago Man uh, One week ago Wow, we yeah. are just like 
We're pumping yeah. out content. I know. This is good stuff. We're <laughs> better late than never, I guess, right? Yeah. So, so if you remember, during the commentary, I was mentioning how when the, the monster on Dagobah spits R2 out, uh, they changed the dialogue so that uh, instead of saying, you're lucky you don't, uh, Luke's saying, you're lucky you don't taste so good, he says, uh, you're lucky you got out of there. Mm-hmm. And I made a reference to this being because of the uh, prequels establishing that R2 has little jets. Right. So this is a comment by Greg Kirkman, who says, the alternate dialogue when R2 is spit out by the swamp creature was not a change made to jibe with the prequels. It's just an alternate take and the line which appears in the script which apparently was in the initial 70mm release of Empire and found its way back in for the 1997 special edition. The you-don't-taste-very-good version was apparently an ad-lib by Hamill, which made it into the 35mm wide release and home video versions of the film up until 1997. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) And, And I see this a lot when you go on IMDb trivia or whatnot for movies like it's like the shining or this or that it was like yeah in the theatrical version they said this line and then in home video and in the uk they said this line and i think like nowadays it makes a little more sense because it's so easy to have different bins on your computer which contain different cuts of the film so you yeah. can decide da, 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 da. but back then when it wasn't that easy and it was all physical and it was literally on a shelf somewhere or in a literal bin in strips of film like how did they keep track of all these different versions and why? Yeah, it's, I mean, y- y- you know, when they when they would do physical editing and you had like ends of mm-hmm. film and little strips and just, I mean, the thought of having to keep all that stuff straight mm-hmm. is just enough to drive you bananas. Yeah, exactly my point. I, I don't, I don't know why, <laughs> is it an accident? <laughs> you know, who knows? It must be. It must be one of those things that just stuck and nobody, people were like, well, that's fine, I guess. But clearly it's stuck in George Lucas's craw. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just, and it's such an innocuous thing, too. I mean, the truth is, you're lucky you don't taste very good is a better line, in my opinion. Yeah, me too. So, well, thank, you for, that, thank you for that, uh, <laughs> Greg Kirkman. I'm, I'm grateful that we have people listening who are able to catch this stuff and oh, correct so us. Oh, so fun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love seeing this stuff. Uh, another comment on the commentary. This is from Chris Hutton, who says, I love these commentary episodes. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I was hoping you were going to mention Han's hands in the carbonite. How did his palms face forward when they were tied behind his back? Yeah, I saw that comment, and it made me go to YouTube <laughs> right away to go rewatch the scene. Did you rewatch it? I did. Yeah, so it turns out, I mean, his hands are in front. And I think you mentioned, maybe you mentioned it in reply on Facebook, but uh, that the Ugnats take the cuffs off of him. You can see his hands getting untied. Yes. Or un- unbound. But uh, there is like some sort of restraining thing around his shoulders, right? That they don't uh, remove that are not there in Return of the Jedi? Well, that's just a continuity error. Can't, yeah. can't do anything about that. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was, that was actually in my notes. I was going to make a comment about that, but we were so wrapped up in our discussion that I just never, uh, we just blew right past it. Yeah. But there we go. Uh, so, so thank you for those. Those are our letters and we, uh, we don't have that many headlines, but I did want to make mention very briefly of the fact that Alan Thicke has passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, legendary TV dad, Alan Thicke. Yeah. And, uh, composer. 
songwriter. Yeah, it's true. It it's it's funny because uh, he he composed and performed the theme song for Different Strokes. Mm-hmm. And you know that's uh, I I in my in my public speaking classes I play the opening of Different Strokes. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's like somebody did a version of the opening from Different Strokes where they took out the song and they just added creepy music. <laughs> Have you seen this? No, no okay. but I can picture it now. So so the opening of the first season intro of Different Strokes is you see <laughs> Mr. Drummond in his limo. He yes. pulls up to the basketball park, and there's Arnold and Willis. They're playing, and then they run into his limo, and then they go off to you know their, their big apartment. <laughs> and the whole time is this catchy, you know, now the world don't move to the beat of Just Wonder. It's a great song. Mm-hmm. So somebody took out the song, same exact footage, and they just have creepy music. So it's like, oh, here's this scary pedophile who's right. abducting these children. Right. You know, it's extraordinary. It's and it's it, I show that as an example of how easily our how susceptible our perceptions are to change. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much, you know. Well, we can uh, bring this back up when we talk about the mummy trailer. That's very true. Uh, coming up in just a few seconds. Um, but so I mentioned, I, so I show the clip, and I'm like, you know, who sang that song is Alan Thicke. And people are like, who's that? And I'm like, you know, Robin Thicke, it's Robin Thicke's father. Like, that's the context now. Right. And so I showed this like two weeks ago, maybe. And then he passes away. And one of my students messaged me. He's like, you were just talking about him like last week, you know. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, kind of a bummer. I, You know, I have to admit, when I was a kid, I always looked at Jason Seaver as like, that's the kind of dad I want to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, great, great TV dad. And uh, he was he was young, too. I mean, he died at 69, and he was playing hockey with his kid. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a just, really sad, sad way to go. Just just a shame. I mean, you know, yeah. he, he was someone who uh, I, when I was thinking about people I wanted to talk to in Nostalgia Theater, he was on my list. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of, I was just bummed, because I would have loved to just spend an hour chatting with him about his career, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely someone who left a big impression, particularly on people of our generation. For sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that in mind, let's move on to, uh, you mentioned it earlier, the Mummy trailer. Let's talk some trailers. We, we've we got a lot of catching up to do, Brian. I think we're, <laughs> we normally, we do like maybe one or two trailers. We've got like a, a handful to cycle through here. It's funny, yeah, and the time that's passed since we've done a regular episode, a lot of stuff has dropped. Yeah, like one after the other after the other. Mm-hmm. So, so the Mummy reboot. Mm-hmm. So this is this is directed by Alex Kurtzman, and it stars Tom Cruise, and it's meant to be the first of this universal, new universal shared monster universe <laughs> thing, right? That they're doing, which they tried to kick off with Dracula, right? Yeah, but now we're just ignoring that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody's talking about that anymore. Yeah. Um. So let's play some of the audio from this first, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. Welcome. Of gods and monsters. <laughs> I saw her. She is real. Please meet Princess Amanet. She will claim what she has been denied. All right, Brian. So you're you're a big Tom Cruise fan. Mm-hmm. Are you a big Mummy fan? I don't know. Is there such a thing as a big Mummy fan? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, like the Brendan Fraser Mummy films. I 
if I remember correctly, I think I only saw two of them. Yeah, that's, and I remember, that's most people. Yeah, and I, they made a third, I think. They, they did. <laughs> but I, I remember thinking they were totally fine. Like, right. totally fine. Great rentals, you know? Sure. Um, other than that, no. I'm not necessarily a Mummy fan. I'm not anticipating this movie. Um, hearing that Tom Cruise was in it, uh, you know, I cocked an eyebrow and went, uh, what, what, what? What was mm-hmm. that? You mm-hmm. know, kind of a thing. And then I saw the trailer and... I'm not getting this. <laughs> okay, so you and I are on the exact same page with this because I, I saw I saw the trailer online and and I was like, all right, what, what did I just see? And then and then I was like, you know, maybe the difference will be seeing it on the big screen. And I did, and I'm not understanding this at all. Not at all. I don't understand why Tom Cruise is in this movie. Right. Like what? I mean, he he's always got something going on. So I don't know what made him think that this was worth a half a year of his life, you know? <laughs> I mean, this looks like, you know, those special effect movies that come out in the off season starring sort of like B actors and this effects look okay. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. And it, well, and it starts, and they uh, make like 80 million total. And you know, like I, I, yeah. Uh, so, so this is, uh, again, this is meant to be the first part of this big shared universe that they're planning. I don't know if you notice Russell Crowe is in there. Mm-hmm. As Doctor Jekyll, mm-hmm. um, so they're planning his movie down the line. Uh, it's Sophia Butea who was in Kingsman, and uh, she was in Star Trek Beyond. She's well, the I like mummy a lot. Yeah, what's that? I feel like she, she's made good impressions, memorable impressions in every movie. I feel like I've seen her in so far. So this, like I, I, I like her. I she's fine, but the the movie looks like a redo of the first Brendan Fraser one, kind of, doesn't it? I mean. Totally. Well, and I'm not saying I thought she looked great in this because uh, she looked a lot like Enchantress from Suicide Squad. Yes. Yes. Which yeah. is not good. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know. This is this is next summer. Um, I'm not feeling it so far. No, I, I, I don't know that there's a demand for a shared movie monster movie universe. Uh, it's funny because I'm trying to think of what I didn't like about it and what could change to make me want to see it. And I think part of it is when I think of the trailer, I think of two things. I think of Tom Cruise in that plane yes. uh, with zero gravity, like the Vomit Comet, which is what it's called, right? They use on Apollo 13 and whatnot, That's right. which is interesting, but we've seen it. Yes. Um, and then the second half was, like you say, it looked like Mummy 3. Mummy four or four or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked like a green screen movie with an actress in you know dressed like a unmemorable villain from another movie I just saw. You know, and I, I think I'd rather feel like the mummy is a threat, a viable threat in the real world that I understand. Right, and maybe he will. Maybe they're hiding that stuff because they're trying to sell the sizzle right now right. And, and get you in. But I would like to see New York or Chicago or L.A. or whatever. What does that look like when a mummy? You know, some supernatural mummies going in there and messing stuff up. And not, like, these CG tornadoes and crap like that. So, maybe that was just it. Like, my eyes just sort of glossed over it, the visuals I was seeing. Um, all right. So, yeah. So, that's that's The Mummy. We also have uh, another reboot. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. This is our third Spider-Man <laughs> franchise in, in uh, you know, 17 or 15 years. Yeah. Wow. Well... This and this is the now that we have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is I would say by and large beloved. This is yeah. the first 
Marvel. This is the real Spider-Man. Now. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. And so, I, honestly, I'm sure they're fairly confident over there at Marvel. But part of me would be like, oh man, everyone is like really expecting this one to deliver. Right. Well, right? let's let's play some of the audio here. So, to become an Avenger, are there like trials or an interview? Just don't do anything I would do, and definitely don't do anything I wouldn't do. There's a little gray area in there, and that's where you operate. Oh, all right. It's not a hug. I'm just grabbing the door for you. All right, kid. Good luck out there. Listen, I know school sucks. Peter, you still with us? Uh, yeah, yeah. I know you want to save the world, but you're not ready yet. You're the Spider-Man. No, I'm not. I'm not. This is just a costume. This is from the ceiling. Stay close to the ground and stay out of trouble. All right, so they, they should basically call this uh, uh, Tony Stark guest starring Spider-Man. <laughs> Why? Because do you think he stole the thunder from the trailer? Uh, no, I mean, not in a bad way, but I mean, I think I think it's very clear that whenever Marvel and and Sony came up with this deal to share Spider-Man, it hinged on Tony Stark being in this Sony Spider-Man movie. Mm, I didn't even think of it that way, but you're right. Like a Sony movie is going to have the, one of the most popular characters. From, yeah. Because, uh, because what we know about the Disney deal movie. is yeah. what the, what we know about the deal is no money exchanged hands. Mm-hmm. So M- Marvel does not make any more money off of Spider-Man and Sony doesn't get any money from civil war. Mm hmm. Right. So in other words, it's basically a handshake deal where they both agree to share the character. Right. Now, my problem with a deal like that is like what happens when it breaks down, <laughs> which is always my worry, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so far, everybody seems to be on their best behavior. But I think when 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 this deal happened, Sony was like, fine. But, uh, you know, when we do ours, we want Tony Stark in it. Yeah. And, and that. Makes sense. He's Make, really appealing sense. in the trailer. Well, and it's just it's just funny that we're at the point now where you need Iron Man to help sell the Spider Man movie. Like who would have thought that? And not even in his suit. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. You know, I think there's like one split second shot in the trailer of the Iron Man suit, but I can't mm-hmm. imagine that Iron Man will be a presence here more more than Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it looks fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Um it looks like kind of the Spider Man I've been waiting to see. Yeah, yeah, I rewatched it because it came out a couple of weeks ago, and I rewatched it before the show just to get it back in my brain. And it was just I, when the first one came out in was it two thousand two? The the Tobey Maguire one, yeah, two thousand two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember going at midnight with a bunch of coworkers because everyone was so amped up about it, and the theater was going nuts. And I I really didn't have a lot of anticipation for. it. I was like, oh yeah, that Spider Man thing, I'll check it out. And everyone went nuts for it, and I was like, yeah, I liked it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and I felt that way about that series. I felt that way about the Andrew Garfield series. But with this trailer, it just made me feel everything I was supposed to feel. I felt the thrills. I felt the sort of, you know, teenage awkwardness in like an endearing way that made me root for, the, you know, him, uh, Peter Parker and his pal. And it just hit all the beats and it, it made me excited to see this. So I, it's a great trailer, I think. And and Michael Keaton, let's not forget. Yeah, yeah, the founder of McDonald's. <laughs> That's right. He's he's the bad guy because uh, you know either you die the hero 
or you live long <laughs> enough to see yourself become the villain. It's true, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> uh, I think I think it's great to see him back in a, in a comic book movie. He <laughs> he gave an interview. I think he was talking about the founder, but he was he he mentioned making Spider Man. He's like, man, these Marvel guys they they run a tight ship. You know, everyone knows exactly what they're doing. Like it's 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 just like it's a well oiled machine. Hmm. He was very complimentary. He he was like, I don't I don't watch. Uh, uh, superhero movies, you know. He's like I, the only ones I've seen are the ones I did, but uh, you know, from from what I've seen, th- this is going to be one of the better ones. So mm-hmm. you can kind of picture the way Michael Keaton talks. I I can see it in my mind as you're saying it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Even the way he's it... holding two fingers up to the his temple and right. you know, on, his, on his knee, I can picture all of it. <laughs> Michael Keaton. If you read his interviews, the, the guy—it just—he just seems like a really. It would be a fun interview to have because I mean the stories the guy must have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know I mean you and I are both fans of his, and it's just—it mm-hmm. feels like he doesn't get the the props that he should. No, and that's why it's so fun to see him now on this upswing again. That's right. Yeah. Even after he was robbed of not, of getting an Oscar for Birdman. Hmm. Remember, remember that video of him like putting his speech back in his pocket. Yeah, that's remember right. That? <laughs> it just broke your heart. I, I forgot know. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just see the video of him quietly putting his speech back. I forget who won that year. I was just going to ask you because I can't even remember. Yeah, Somebody whatever. who who should have obviously. <laughs> I truly don't remember what what year was Birdman. That was twenty fourteen, right? Yeah, it was like two years ago. Okay, hold on. I need, I need to Google this because it's going to bug me a bit. Yeah, well, you know, and then I, how about this? I'll just say then, uh, even though we feel like Michael Keaton should have gotten it, no disrespect to... Matthew McConaughey? Wait, no, that's not right. That's 2013. Colon <laughs> blank space. Uh, Eddie Redmayne. Uh, you know, I know he got a lot of criticism for being doing an Oscar-y performance in an Oscar-y movie. Yeah. Oscar Beatty, I should say. I actually thought he was really good. Yeah, but he's not Michael Keaton good. I mean, come on. I understand. I understand. I just I just remember thinking I was really surprised by how how much like backlash he got. Uh, I I mean, he, did, he did, it was a challenging thing he did. I think I told you this story about how like went early in the early part of the year when they were promoting Theory of Everything, I'd mm-hmm. gotten an email asking if I want to interview Eddie Redmayne. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm like, Eddie Redmayne, who the hell is that? Psh, yeah. Whatever. And then he wins. I'm like, eh. Yeah, that'll learn me. Yeah. I've done that a few times. Yeah. I, with Eddie Redmayne, what I rem- uh, the Danish girl, is. you talk about an Oscar Beatty performance. Yes, totally. Did, did you ever see that? No. That's that's like, you know, oh, you, you get to play the first transgender woman. Hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the role somebody who just won Best Actor takes on. As a follow-up, yeah, 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 you know like I mean? that back to back, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Uh, anyway, so Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, real quick, let's talk about the Fast and the Furious Eight trailer, mm-hmm. otherwise known as Fate of the Furious. Yeah. Which, uh, okay, well, first of all, let's play some of the audio. You know what I like about you, Dom. You're a genuine outlaw, but you're his family. The hell of a job, brother. When we get back to the base, the beer's on me. He's about to go up against the only thing they can't handle. You.
Did you ever think you'd betray your family the way you did today? Dominic Toretto just turned on us. Well, well, well. Do you look at that? I don't know why he's doing this, but that wasn't dumb. She's the very definition of high-tech terrorism. And now, she's working with your guy. I think I found my team. This should be interesting. Okay, so it's called Fate of the Furious. I don't even... <laughs> I don't... I don't even know what I'm supposed to think about that. That that has to be one of the dumbest titles ever, uh, you know? Yeah, but there's eight of them. Yeah, just call, <laughs> you know, call it Furious 8. Call it, This is but, so... But Fate... Eight. Like F8? Yeah. It's more like FU, you know? <laughs> well, and it looks like the team's going to fall apart. Their fates are in the balance. So so I see this trailer. Yeah. And I'm like, that looks friggin' awful. And then I'm like, but is it any worse than the other ones, which I've, like, basically liked? Like, who's I wrong s- here, you know? I, I did. I am completely. I thought you were going to say that looks friggin awesome <laughs> i no. was not expecting you to dislike it because I, I know mean, you're a big fan i i'm i mean i like the series that's why i'm i'm watching this i'm like can this series really jump the shark when it was pretty much riding a shark the entire time like <laughs> yeah uh, you know I, I like these movies i enjoy them when i watch them and i don't think about them a second after uh, and i know people anticipate i don't even anticipate them but when they're in front of me I enjoy them because these should be really bad movies. Yes. But they're really bad movies made really well. Right. Okay. And they have an enjoyable cast and the action is shot like they're like B action movies shot A, you know, with A resources. See, I feel like at this point, the only thing left is for them to either go into space <laughs> or get superpowers. Yeah, they're all going to find uh, an asteroid. Yeah, right, exactly. And, you know, Stretch Dude and Lava Girl. You know, like, the, the it's... Well, it's, yeah, and the... Sorry, sorry, they're good. No, I mean, I... I, I again, my, my reaction to the trailer is... is to, Again, it's like two conflicting things. I'm like, well, do I really get to stand and say this looks awful when <laughs> I basically gave the last, like, you know the the ones I reviewed at least the last two I gave them pass and how different are are those from this? Yeah, you know my my brother I'm paraphrasing but he said the top comment when he re- saw the trailer and read it was like this is out of control how do they, can they keep making these this looks ridiculous see you there opening night <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like yeah is that how you feel uh, not opening night this is one of those things where. My friends enjoy going, and I always end up going with them. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I would eventually see them, but they're not—they're not, they're not uh, opening weekend movies for me. Um, well, it—it it looks better than Triple X: The Return of Xander Cage. I'll give it that. I wasn't even gonna bring. I—I I added a lot of the trailers to our document tonight that we're reading off of, and I was—I saw the Triple X thing, and I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. it you know. It, there, I, I think w- what's interesting to me is this is supposed to be the beginning of, like, a final trilogy. Yes. Which kind of fills me with dread a little bit, the idea that, uh, all right, so there's going to be, like, four more hours of this after, the, you know? <laughs> well, I, I will say this in its defense. 
wrecking ball going through a bunch of cars. Sure. Submarine wrecking a bunch of cars. Okay. It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> don't you kind but, of feel like the trailer is the movie? Like, do we? I don't think we need to see the movie at this point. Uh, like, I don't even care. I, because, I did because not the, expect to be in the defense of this movie because I was just having a conversation with my brother. Why said I felt like I was the only person that didn't love these movies, and now I'm like really surprised. Well, it, I mean, they are what they are, right? It's. I mean, I agree with you. I think you and I are on the same page when it comes to this franchise, where it's like, it's not. Shakespeare, but I mean, it is what it is. It's fine. Yeah, it's fun to watch heightened, you know, choreography, stunt choreography. I th- right? I think but- that I like I would point to Fast Five as a legit solid action movie. Like I would recommend that to somebody who's never seen any of the Furious movies. I'd be like, watch this, you're gonna enjoy it. Still my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the best of the bunch. Um, I think Furious Six was really good. I thought Furious Seven was less good. Uh, you know, uh, and th- if they wanted to end it, that actually would have been a good place to end it. Obviously, that wasn't going to happen. Probably, yeah. Um, this I saw the, the just the the trailer. It just seemed silly to me. Like when by the time like Charlize Theron is kissing uh, yeah. Vin Diesel yeah, yeah, yeah. and and Michelle Rodriguez is like, Dom, what are you doing? I'm like, oh my god, what are they? This well, is like look. this is like Dallas with hot rods, you know. <laughs> and you have two more, so three movies, right? This and then two more after this. Do we really think he's a bad guy? Of course he's not. Right. So, like, at what point of the movie are we going to Ex- find out he was, like, double-crossing her the exactly. whole time? Exactly. Right. Know, it's just, but it's so obvious. There right. has to be more to it. Right? <laughs> I don't know. The, no, that's... But you that's, know what? I don't go to these movies for the plots. Let's be honest. Okay. Well, and you know what? It's, it's directed by F. Gary Gray. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I, he's no slouch. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, that, that at least gives me some cause. I, I don't know. Like... We'll be talking about it next summer, so I guess whatever. <laughs> yeah. At this point, I mean, it, this franchise is a perpetual motion machine. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. We'll you see know, how it does. I mean, if if nothing else, what, the last one, the tr- part, third part of this trilogy is supposed to come out in 2021? 20, <sighs> wow. Really? Uh, yeah. You realize we'll have another Indiana Jones movie before that? Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Well, because, let's see, 2017, 2019, 20... Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, that works out. Yeah. So 2021, exactly 20 years after the first Mm. Fast and Furious. Wow. So, and I think we've talked about this before, but the notion that you'd have this franchise last 20 years. 20 years? 10 movies? Yeah. Would that have even crossed your mind when you watched Fast and Furious, the first one? No. 2001? Uh, You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. That's bananas. Yeah. Anyway, so that's happening. Uh, another uh, sequel coming up, and this is one that uh, has not had quite as many entries. It's uh, Blade Runner, more specifically Blade Runner twenty forty nine, mm-hmm. which makes it sound like a like a syndicated sci fi show, <laughs> <from> like <laughs> that WGN so or something. Accurate, right? right? Yes, it totally does. <laughs> like WGN Saturday afternoon, you know, uh, Babylon twenty six twenty seven. Yeah, it's, yeah, it stars like Kevin Sorbo. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I think. I think. I think having the date there is just stupid. It's uh, horrible. But anyway, uh, I don't know. I, mean, I have no opinion on it. It. I mean, it's not enough to. People are going to call it Blade Runner two anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. But uh, let's play some of the audio from that. Not your job once. 
Körül. Things were simpler then. So this stars Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. Been talking about him a lot this episode. Yeah. And Harrison Ford. Yeah. As a grumpy old man Harrison Ford. Yeah. Digging up all his old roles. Kind of funny, right? Like, I mean, when you watch this trailer and he, he gives the whole, like, him he's holding like, up a... He's like, Chewie, we're home. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Let's do that again. <laughs> Harrison, wrong movie. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. It does have a very reminiscent sort of feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah. This trailer with that. But, uh, man, this... First of all, getting this trailer was a big surprise, I think. I don't... Usually they put out, like, a teaser for a teaser of yeah. the trailer that's going to come out. And this just kind of came out of well, nowhere. Th- thank goodness for that. Yeah. But but then also, this is a movie I think a lot of people were sort of like, I don't know. Like, this is sort of uh, revered by a very snobby... Well, that, that's not fair to a lot of people. But you know what I'm saying? Like, a very people who have very strong opinions hold this movie in very high regard. And to make a sequel to this is craziness. Are you a fan of Blade Runner? I like Blade Runner, yeah. I, I, I'm not, like, gaga for it like a lot of people are. Yeah. Um, but I always enjoy watching it. And I think a lot of that has to do more with I can't take my eyes off of it. If that sure. makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. Um, then, rather than this, the story, necessarily. But uh, I do I do enjoy it, yeah. And I I wasn't clamoring for a sequel or anything, but... Uh, I don't think anybody was. I mean, I think I think that was the. I th- I think that when they first announced it, every everyone thought it was a cash grab. Mm-hmm. And then you had Harrison Ford say he was down. Mm-hmm. And then you had Ridley Scott come on as a producer, and then Dennis Villeneuve is directing. Yeah, which is like, I think th- especially now after Arrival and all that, everyone's like, oh, yeah, okay. Excuse me. And, and then, then Ryan Gosling starring. Right. And Roger Deakins as the, the DP. Yeah. Um, which is completely obvious when you watch the trailer. Right. Is so every true. single image in this trailer could be framed. So there's like basically five zeros that have all lined up mm-hmm. that make you say, okay, we need to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't look like it's just a cash grab. And I was really impressed. I mean, there's a very distinctive look and feel to the original Blade Runner, which is right. this sort of like, you know, Tokyo hybrid. It's raining all the time. Street, you know, urchin merchants everywhere, kind of murky, but like futuristic flashy screens and whatnot. And then one of the, you know, the very first images in this trailer just completely hooks up to it. Yeah. I was I was really impressed. Um, yeah. And then there's... I mean- like you were saying it's it's i mean it it feels of a piece at least just what we're seeing so far and i mean obviously the shots in this trailer they chose very deliberately Mm -hmm. to convey that right but again it's it's cause to be kind of i don't know about excited but at least intrigued yeah yeah and again as someone who i like blade runner but i'm not super like you know it's not it's not Han Solo. You're not like, I can't wait to see Rick Deckard again. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Like, I don't feel like there's as much for me to lose with this. Yes. I'm just hoping for a cool new sci-fi movie. Sure. 
right? Well, I'm just hoping that this signals uh, Harrison Ford announcing sequels to The Fugitive and um, <laughs> Six Days, Seven Nights. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven Days, Eight Nights. Yeah, yeah. And then he's just like, uh, sure. No, we need another another lesbian actress for him to play off of. Oh, uh, hmm. well, we'll give that some thought. Yeah, well, we'll we'll come back to that. Yeah, but that that's the hope is that Harrison Ford just digging up old old roles. I I didn't kill my second wife either. <laughs> right, Witness I just have two. really bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another movie coming up. Speaking of uh, great cinematography, uh, this is Dunkirk. Yeah. So this is the new Christopher Nolan not sci-fi movie. <laughs> That's what they should right. call it. Christopher Nolan's not sci-fi movie. Yeah. Uh, so let's play some of the audio from this, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel? There are 400,000 men on this beach. So, hey, did you see this in front of Rogue One? No, I didn't see it, uh, IMAX. Or, or, oh, well, there was a special five-minute thing, right, in front yeah. of IMAX, but then the regular trailer. No, I didn't see either. I've only seen it on my computer. So yeah, I, I saw the extended uh, sequence on on uh, on the yeah because I saw it I saw that in IMAX and oh. really interesting. I mean it you know I think I think you and I are both like when it comes to Christopher Nolan, it's like if he makes a movie, I'm going to go see it. No, yeah, no one is making movies of the scope and sort of vision you know that he that he is like he's alone on an he, island right now. Yeah, well, and and I almost I feel like. Dennis Villeneuve is sort of following in his footsteps a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm not saying that people aren't making good things. He's right, not right. making good things, but what he's doing, he yeah. feels like, yeah, it's it's uh, unique. I mean, I mean, certainly of the current crop of filmmakers, you've got. I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I think it's an indication of how the industry has changed, where there really isn't room for a filmmaker to make the kind of movies Christopher Nolan makes. Unless you're Christopher Nolan. It's true. And it's funny. Actually, I was going to bring this up and then I forgot. But before we started, uh, I was watching Unbreakable okay. on TV. And I caught like the last 40 minutes of it. But it's still a good movie. It's a damn good movie. It really and, and, and you know what it is? It's, it's, it's got a vision and it completely is confident in its vision. Yes. And it's wholly original. And it's really inspired and interesting and executed exactly how it wants to be executed and i would say successfully and as i was watching it i i was like i had a lump in my throat in the last 20 minutes of that film and i was getting all swept up in it and it made me feel like i can't believe this movie isn't that old but a movie like this doesn't exist anymore that's true like an an original vision from an interesting filmmaker and like what we're saying right now yeah it's you only christopher nolan is one of the few people who is allowed to do that anymore you know, it's you funny, know, you're, talking, you're talking about Unbreakable, this, by the way. Yeah. Real quick, you're talking about Unbreakable. I'm reminded yeah. of, like, a f- uh, maybe a few months ago, this is before the election, but uh, Omarosa, who's, like, one of Donald Trump's surrogates, right, she gave this interview where she was talking about how he first decided to run for president in 2011 when Barack Obama was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and he was, like, making jokes at Donald Trump's expense. No. 
Yeah, really? Yeah. This Omarosa said this. I'm not, this is you know she's like, and that night he decided after the way people were laughing at him, he would run for president. And I'm like, holy shit, he's <laughs> Mr. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> He's Mr. Glass. <laughs> they called me Mr. Glass. <laughs> you know how I knew? The children. <laughs> it was the kids. <laughs> wow. So That's, thanks, Obama. Wow, way to bring it all full circle, too, by the way. <laughs> I was just thinking about that when, when you brought up on Rachel. It's a You know, I love the, the score. It's a, a James so Newton Howard. So good, James Newton Howard. Yeah, yeah, and the... Man, that was when he... That was I, I. I had always said that the Sixth Sense I still thought was like his best movie, but like Unbreakable is just really original. Yeah, and uh, and and I think I think that kind of benefits from being not as talked about as Sixth Sense, and yeah, not, yeah, and not being everything that came after Unbreakable. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's and, also I, I, we just turned this into the Unbreakable podcast, but yeah. <laughs> the uh, his he, it was when he was doing the cinematography that was very deliberate. Yeah. But he wasn't, like, you know, basically masturbating to himself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, all and, his and other movies he got... Well, no, we like Signs and a couple others, but, like, he got really cocky in his filmmaking. Yeah. Well, he kept giving and, himself bigger roles. Yeah, yeah. But but in this one, I felt like it, it, it teeters on it, but it all justifies itself. Well, and, you know, not only that, I mean, it really beat the zeitgeist the, when it comes to superhero movies. Yeah, like like I think that movie released today would have more. It would it would be more discussed because the superhero tropes are so woven into the the broader public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because when it came, when you think about it, I mean, it was talking about stuff that really like comic book fans know. Mm-hmm. And now, it, it, the superheroes aren't just for comic book fans anymore, right? You know, and that that film is really sort of a critique and commentary on superhero tropes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. a shame. Unbreakable I'm, is good. Anyway, let's talk about Dunkirk. I'm just glad I was able to bring it up. All right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Dunkirk. Well, tell me about the uh, what they showed. Was it like the opening sequence, like they did with the Batman films? Or? No. It, well, I don't know if it's the opening. To be honest, I don't believe so. I think it comes in somewhere in the middle. But it's uh, it's um, these uh, soldiers who are trying to uh, get on a boat, and the the sort of the the pier has like a gaping hole in it. So they're trying to walk across a very narrow gangplank mm-hmm. from one part of the pier to the other. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know anything about the movie cause I haven't read about it. Mm-hmm. So the, the scene was, was all mood and setup and no context. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it, it, to me, at least, the scene that they showed just rises and falls based on Christopher Nolan's ability to build tension, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's very good at that, obviously. And so it's kind of and and it, the 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 feel is so it feels so authentically period, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And we, we you and I have both talked before about really just appreciating Christopher Nolan's ab- the ability to bring sort of a uh, a realness to the frame, mm-hmm. and you know, there's plenty of that. It looks interesting. I don't know what else to say beyond that because I don't. Again, I I don't know what it's about, and it's because I'm just. This is another one. Of those, it's like an inter- Interstellar. I went in completely cold, and I appreciated it more because of that. Dunkirk's going to be kind of the same thing. They've already got my money because it's Christopher Nolan. Right, right. And same goes with the trailer. I guess uh, I don't know that I completely was able to figure out what the story was. Right from the trailer. 
but I saw the atmosphere that was, you know, being presented and how it was going to be presented. I, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm in, but this is only making me feel even better about already being in. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so we'll, that's a wait and see that comes out, uh, in, in a couple months, I think next summer, right? Next fall, I think. Uh, July 21st, 2017. Oh, that's kind of interesting. They're positioning it right in the middle of, of summer. Yeah. So speaking of summer movies, one more I wanted to, to discuss that's coming out next year is Transformers, mm-hmm. The Last Night. Yes. So they keep making these things. <laughs> <laughs> I love how... Well, here, you know, let, let's just play the opening of this trailer. Okay. It has been said... Through the ages, without sacrifice, there can be no victory. Two species at war. One flesh, one metal. So it starts off, it, it lulls you. See, this is, this is what this trailer does. It, it lulls you into a false sense of security. Because you're suck. like, he, here's these, these knights and, and, oh, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and oh, look, it's Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> this must be a prestigious, wait a minute, that's Optimus Prime. <laughs> right, right, right. <sighs> Damn it. <laughs> that was my reaction, and I knew what I was watching. <laughs> because I watched it on the internet. It's like, watch the Transformers last night trailer. And so I turned it on, and I was still lulled into this false sense of security. Right, right, right. So I don't even know what there is to say about this franchise at this point, except I'm amazed that 10 years later, we're on the fifth one. I'm amazed that if you put any of them in front of me, I couldn't tell you which one it is. I think I could, which is weird, right? <laughs> well, I just felt like... It looked, after all this, you know, to do of putting together like some sort of story team, right? Yeah. And they're like, okay, we did what we did, and we're going to like totally re-kickstart the Transformers. We're going to like make all these sequels, and it's going to be a Transformers, like Marvel-style universe. So we're going to get all these heads in the room, and we're going to figure out to tell, you know, these stories that are worth telling. And then I see this trailer, and I'm like, what? It's the same freaking movie. Yeah, right? It looks completely, to me, indistinguishable from the other ones. I 100% agree. It's, I mean, and it's like, these things continue to make money. So, I mean, say what you will. Oh, yeah. I mean, go enjoy them. It's fine. But I just, I would like to enjoy them too, someday. It's just, you know, this past (laughs) summer was very interesting because we saw franchises just dropping like flies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Ninja Turtles. Uh, Star Trek didn't do that well. Actually, Paramount franchises didn't, you know, so maybe Transformers because that's a Paramount franchise too. But I mean, my point is most of these things, they make one movie, they make two movies, they go away. We're on the fifth Transformers. It sure doesn't, I can't imagine that this one will do substantially worse than the other ones have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The audience is pretty much baked into the cake by now. I have no idea what keeps people coming back to this series. And I say this as somebody who loves Transformers. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I'm not like, well, this is just uh, the premise is ridiculous. No, no, no. I, I love. I have Transformers toys that my kids play with. I love Transformers. 
I don't understand how this franchise is still this movie franchise is still going. It's extraordinary to me. And that's it. I I I have no problem with how they look. I don't have a problem with like the plot being ridiculous. I just can't tell them apart. <laughs> like there's no need for me to come back. And that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I want to see a story when I walk out. I'm like, oh, it's it's because uh, this had been taken away from this character, and so they decided they need to go get it back against all odds, and then they succeeded at the end, and I was happy about it. Like I. You know, it's it's easy. <laughs> like, just make something I can like get into and hold on to and like feel good about. And uh, I don't know. Otherwise, it's just all these robots I can't tell apart, and they're chasing a thing. And but none of it matters because it's just about the effects, and that's Brian, totally cool. Can, totally I, can cool. I tell you something? What I think one of the episodes I'm probably most looking forward to is when you and I are going to be discussing this movie <laughs> because it's just gonna we're gonna be like Waldorf and Statler from the Muppets. Yeah. yeah, I know. Actually, I just realized. I feel like I'm like talking, screaming at a wall right now. I don't but understand it, any of this with the noising and the transforming and the thing and, <laughs> and the hipping and the hopping. You know. Yeah. Did yeah, you I will see say Dunkirk that. though? It's about <laughs> history. <laughs> you know, I will say this. They're talking about doing the Transformers spinoff movies. It's totally fine. The the, the spinoff I would be interested in, in my opinion, is like if you want to do the origin of the Transformers. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or even like let's narrow narrow in the origin of Optimus Prime. How did he become leader of the Autobots? That's kind of interesting. Uh, if you want to go down that road, but they're like, oh, we're going to do a Bumblebee spinoff, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I want to tell him like, listen, how much is this going to cost? Like a hundred million dollars? Let me tell you how to save a hundred million dollars. <laughs> Don't make <laughs> yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah, I want to <laughs> see another filmmaker make these movies. That too, sure. With respect to Michael Bay, by the way, I you know he does what he does, and that's great. But I'm ready for another vision with these. But but you know things. the problem though to that point is that any other filmmaker is still beholden to how he has defined this universe. Hmm. It's so, so funny because I'm like, ah, who cares? But obviously, billions worth of dollars of people care. So right, yeah, uh, we should be running the studios. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> We we would not spend money on a Bumblebee spinoff. I can I can assure you of that. Paramount, if you're hiring, here's here's me and Brian's pitch for the job. We will save you money by not greenlighting the Bumblebee spinoff movie. Yeah, boom. We already saved you a hundred million dollars. You're welcome. Put that in the bank. <laughs> uh, now speaking of money in the bank, here's one last trailer. And you know, honestly, we're not even going to play the audio for this because. It's just not worth it. But they, the trailer for this just dropped earlier today, and I, I really like if if we need evidence of of just society being on the verge of collapse, I think this is it. <laughs> and it is uh, the emoji movie, or as I call it, circling the drain. <laughs> <laughs> circling the drain, us. Yeah. So it as the title happen. as the title implies, it's about emojis. Mm-hmm. It's the emoji movie yeah. about emojis. Because why the hell not? Uh, I, I really, I've actually run out of energy. I, I, I think it was the Transformer stuff. But the, uh, <laughs> I'm like, why don't we do Tic Tac Toe the movie next? The X's versus the O's, but then yeah. they learn to work together. Yeah, hundred million dollars. Hey, Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> Forget Bumblebee. X's and O's. It's where it's at. This is the, did you watch this? The the emoji movie trailer? I did. Oh my god. I, I was really I sad to hear Stephen Wright. 
Well, you know, brother got to eat. So perfect, though. I mean, it, it makes sense, but I was just like, oh, man. Well, I, I think was like, what? The, yeah. the way he sounds during the trailer is, I think, how we all felt inside while watching the trailer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I watched it, and a single tear rolled down my cheek because I just felt like, I, I'm like, you know, if the aliens want to invade and just, like, this, they would, they would, the aliens could wipe us out, and they would screen this on a big screen and be like, this is why we're doing this to you. Yeah. Because this trailer for this movie exists. I mean, this feels like a movie that I'm sure the studio was like, we're make there's this is a thing and we're gonna make a movie around it. And it was it'd be funny to imagine it handed to this group of people and they're like ah, Okay, there's right. a world, uh there's a chosen one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like some sort of uh, thing comes in that's the opposite of whatever they are, uh then they teach it to be themselves. Uh you know, <laughs> like this movie writes itself. Ugh. I mean we know what this is. Did did you watch Angry Birds? No. Can I tell you how angry that movie made me? Did you watch it with your kids, I imagine? I, I, well, I, I did, and yeah, they, they liked it. I fell asleep in the middle of it. Yeah. But uh, I can't imagine that this will be any different than that. Uh, meaning what? It's just kind of what you described, this sort of generic, like, you know, uh, a framework of a story mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you just dress up with whatever your movie happens to be about. Right. I, you know, this is something I talk about. This is a recurring theme here where, like, the kids' movies that I end up watching because, you know, I, I go for free and mm-hmm. how they're all kind of the same. Right. You know, uh, it, just in this past year, I saw uh, uh, Angry Birds, Storks, um, Trolls, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're all, it's just, it's all the same. And I, oh, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I can't, yeah, sure. I, I, again, my perspective is a little bit different because, well, I'm, I'm just going to press screenings, but I mean, parents are paying money for this stuff. They're, you know, they're, they're making, they're choosing because there's something they're not doing because they're paying to see angry birds. <laughs> yeah. But they need whatever is out there at the moment for their kids. Angry birds cost $75 million. Yeah. And it made $350 million. Wow. That's why... Uh, we're doomed see i would have by the way as you were just ranting a minute ago i was like oh that's what i sounded like when i was talking about transformers (laughs) (laughs) it was like we were taking turns (laughs) but (laughs) it's so true uh, but i you know i didn't know that it made that much money which is really interesting because i thought when it was coming out it was like five years too late the angry birds movie it is right well apparently not i guess not yeah i don't know anyway this is a thing that's coming out and i'm probably (laughs) Man, I didn't expect so much. Uh, so I'm, I'm like I'm like Iron Eyes Cody in that in that commercial where you know he sees the littering and he just turns to the camera and cries. Yeah, that that was me watching the trailer for this. I'm <laughs> wow. just like it's it's over. You know, let let yeah. the apes take over. We've we've had we had a good run. Yeah, but this is you know, the once upon a time. Think about this. Once upon a time, Paramount <laughs> was like, we need to find a best-selling book like before it comes out and uh-huh. and they spent money procuring the rights to the godfather 
<laughs> and they ended up making the one of the greatest movies ever made because they took a chance on this piece of literature that's amazing and it, and it has depth and it's about life and death and and family and and now we have studios that say hey what's a thing that people talk about oh when you know when you text somebody and and you know how it used to be you would type colon and uh, close parentheses now when you do that is it turns into a little smiley face and some studio executive was like here's a blank check. I'm going to sign it. Go to whoever owns the rights to those uh, those facial expressions and and lock that in because we're going to spend money and create a, craft a story around this notion and and put it in theaters because we hate ourselves and we want people we want to hate people the way we hate ourselves. That's the emoji movie. <laughs> Tears, <laughs> tears in my face. <laughs> I'm gonna have to listen to that again later because I just, I just heard your voice. <laughs> it's so much anger. <sighs> okay, it's really upsetting, <laughs> dude. We have to see it now. <laughs> we kind of do now, right? Because, because if it turns out to be amazing, I'm gonna feel like a piece of shit. <laughs> If it uh, turns out to be the Lego movie or something, you know, I dude, would that be hilarious? You know what? I'm. It's it's right now. It's it's Tuesday, December twentieth at ten forty six p.m. Pacific time. If if <laughs> the friggin' if the emoji movie is anything but computer generated garbage, then then you can call me out on it. I think I'm safe in saying it will be god awful. I th- who's putting it out? What studio is that? Is that Sony? Um, I feel like it should be Sony, right? <laughs> Seems like something Sony. Sorry, would. Sony. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess we're not applying for a job with them. I think uh, it is. It is being put out by, I don't know. Wait. I'm willing to bet. TJ Miller, James Corden. It is Sony. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just guess that? Yeah, it was a yeah, guess. It, it felt like a Sony movie. It, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Sony. It's Sony. Sony's had a bad couple of years, and that those couple of years will continue. Uh, what has this guy written? I'm just looking at the movies these guys have written. Uh, I haven't even heard of this. Minute Work, TV series. Hard Times of R.J. Berger. That sounds familiar. Roommates. That sounds like a Fox show. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, we've we've given plenty of time to this. We, we really have. We probably have given too much time. Yeah. Yeah. They also wrote, uh, "We wasted our life, and uh, we went to film school to write this." <laughs> or yeah, I have kids. They need to eat. At the end. A good point. The emoji movie in three D. I love that. That's the title. <laughs> that's, yeah, I can see it on IMDb. That's that's the, the title. Thing. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So I I need something. I need a chaser, Brian. All right. Let's well, talk about Star Wars. Yeah. Cue the music. So, Brian, I'm told that a new Star Wars movie came out a few days ago. Oh, really? I haven't heard of it. That's the word on the street. Hmm. Actually, uh, I don't know. I lost. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even that late. Jeez, we're just kind of, we just kind of gave up. I think, I think emoji just kind of threw off our mojo a little bit. Yeah, I was like, my brain was like, insert retort. I got nothing. <laughs> it's like a test screening where the effects haven't been inserted yet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like a card comes up and it's like, 
quippy remark to be put here. Well, I mean, one of the things we talked about when we discussed Rogue One was the idea that gradually, probably over the next several uh, weeks and months, we'll start learning about the, you know, what was intended versus what the reshoots did in terms of changing the the, the structure of the film. That's one of those things, especially with a movie this big, you always think, man, I'd really love to know what the changes were, especially when we know there were changes, but we probably won't. Like, it seems like it'll be, like, closely guarded. But even, I remember with the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, when that came out, I was like, man, what was that that other version that they didn't make, the Frank Darabont script? Right. And sure enough, I mean, I think I read that before the movie even came out. Yeah. <laughs> like, somehow these things find That's a the way. That's the Saucer Men script, I think, right? Uh, there was the Saucer Men, and I think there was one other one, actually. That Dar- So Darabont wrote two? I think he wrote another one because the Saucer Men was before his. I'm I'm, okay. I'm fairly certain. Didn't Shyamalan write one too? Mm, that I. Oh, he was involved with that. I don't know yeah. if he ever did a draft. Maybe he did. I'm not sure, but I, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, sure enough, I mean, the day after Rogue One comes out, you're already not only seeing people do pretty good analysis. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, Gareth Edwards himself has confirmed that the ending was changed now well what he said i think this is important because i think some of this is getting lost he said that his original plan for the ending was one thing but the ending Mm. they never filmed that ending true 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 that's a good clarification and i guess we should probably mention we're getting the spoilers for rogue one here this is yeah if you haven't seen rogue (coughs) one yeah we're we're gonna spoil we're gonna discuss the ending so so his it, this is interesting because we talked about this when, when we discussed the movie. But he did not plan to kill off Jin and Cassian, right? Because, because yeah, yeah. Go ahead. In making a Disney film, exactly, he felt that he couldn't. Isn't that interesting? He, he thought they wouldn't allow it. Yeah. Which is, I mean, we all thought that. Yeah, you know? I mean, I assumed we would lose members of the team, but I did not predict they would lose everybody. That it would be, a, yeah, like a bowling ball knocking everybody down. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people were seeing after the movie that uh, Felicity Jones in her contract, she is contracted to do one more s- sequel. Yeah. Should they want to create one? And people were like, oh, well, you know, what does that mean? Is she going to show up in other movies? And she very well could. But in my opinion, it was because they hadn't determined whether or not they wanted to kill everyone off yet. Like, let's leave it open just in case. That that's how I I thought, but no, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I I I think, but if they do have an option on her, I mean, I I still say, I mean, if they can find a way to work her into Han Solo in a kind of fun way, that's not like hitting you over the head. That might be kind of fun, you know? Yeah, to, yeah. To, to somehow to I don't well I don't know that you could have the story really overlap with Rogue One because we know too early, or I mean, uh, not early enough. Maybe it's it's yeah because I mean. Rogue One is right before A New Hope, right? Right. And that's, I mean, that's actually the question. I mean, do they, do they plan to have Alden Ehrenreich, is he, is he meant to be young Han Solo or is he meant to be the same young Han Solo that Hans, that Harrison Ford played? Does that make See, sense? I, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was always under the impression he was going to be like, at least like 10 years earlier. That, right. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, you know what I'm thinking actually. Now, I mean, I, I'm assuming I'm assuming that they they're playing the long game with with Han Solo, like at least a trilogy. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, you know, you start with him younger and you can end up with him at a time that's much closer to where he is at the beginning of Star Wars, but by then the audience will have accepted him so it won't feel jarring. <clears throat> Which makes you wonder, yes, and it also makes you wonder what they're going to cover because then they would have to hold off. You imagine maybe the third one, if they decide to wrap it up and lead into the 77 A New Hope, yeah, is the Java story. Sure. Well, but I mean, this is uh, unlike Rogue One, which is there is a very specific story that it needs to tell. I mean, Han Solo is Han Solo. Oh, yeah. He could have all sorts of adventures. It, right. But... That would be the fun thing. Yeah. So but I, I mean... hope I, I hope that my, my point is, I hope they like you said, like, OK, so you, you have the you have the, the Java thing happen at some point. But I hope I hope they don't feel beholden to like depict things that were alluded to before i would rather just have a bunch of new adventures that are just brand new i agree even though you have to imagine that the first one's going to touch on the kessel run or something sure like we'll get the kessel run we get him getting the millennium falcon and we get him meeting chewy right those like i'm i'm fairly certain those plot points will be covered but beyond that so that's okay you know that's movie one that's han solo the origin Mm mm-hmm but like movie two, hey, you know Han Solo's adventures in the the this system, the Temple of Doom. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where he's trying to get a crystal skull, and you know, yeah, right. I mean that. I think that's the smart thing to do. I mean, they it doesn't even need to be a trilogy if they're smart about it. If people if people take to Alden Ehrenreich, I mean, you could get a bunch of. I mean, people love Han Solo, and if people like him as the character, oh yeah, who's to say? You know, yeah. It can anyway, be fate of the Han Solo. <laughs> oh god <laughs> uh, okay anyway so uh the the um speaking of bringing back old characters obviously in in rogue one there was also the uh use of uh, cgi creation for peter cushing and a young princess leia mm-hmm. yeah which was a surprise i think to a lot of people and then <clears throat> you imagined that they were an actor on set but then they just completely you know, swapped out their head for a whole animated sort of thing. But it turns out that it wasn't exactly the case from what I've been reading today. Uh, there was actually an actress on set. It was, I'm going to have a hard time with this name, but Ingvild Delia, right? Delia? Delia? Anyway. Yes. Um, she, she's, uh, she hasn't been in a lot of things, a lot of sh- shorts and whatnot, but who knows where this will lead. But anyway, she was there on set as Princess Leia, but what they did was they kept her eyeballs and her mouth. And they put digital prosthetics over everything else, which I found very interesting um, because I think a lot of people were complaining about the uncanny Valley effect Yeah, with the eyeballs with uh, Carrie Fisher and Tarkin, which I kind of recall myself too. So I, I don't know. I don't, I, I kind of want to see it again in light of this. I saw a couple gifts and things that were online today, but uh, there's still, even with the uh, Carrie Fisher, I thought her mouth seemed a little weird. In yeah. my memory, yeah, which is funny if it was a real mouth. I don't know. It's, I mean, this it's is it's almost like a like a clutch cargo type thing. Uh, if you remember when when um, Conan and Brian used to do that, remember? Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, so I don't know. It, I mean, it's interesting because people were saying some people were saying why not just get actors and put makeup on them? Sure. You know, like, um, and in a way, they did in a very 
new sort of <laughs> medium. Yeah. Right. Um, so I don't well, know. It's, it's just, it, it's digital prosthetics. Mm-hmm. It's it, it, when you think about it and, and without getting into the, sp- the efficacy of these specific things, h- how is it that much different than, you know, Andy circus playing an ape? In you know, it's of, funny, like and I, I thought of that very thing because of the Planet of the Apes trailer, yeah. and I think the thing is, is we know those apes don't look real. Sure. But they're something different, and we can accept different mannerisms from them, but when you're trying to recreate something as nuanced as a human face, where sometimes people's temples have a pulse, and sometimes a cheek twitches for no reason, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we can notice when things aren't natural like they're programmed especially with a human face so i think there's still probably a long way to go before completely fooling everyone but at the same time a lot of people than you think though i i think so but i i also heard on uh, another podcast i listened to slash filmcast it was really funny because one of them was saying in defense of the tarkin uh character's face he was like i think they went with a a slightly over stylized version as a choice Hmm. and the other people were like, I think you're giving them too much credit. I don't think that was on purpose. I, think I, I agree. Looked, I don't think it's on purpose. Yeah. I, I Exactly. I thought that was really funny, though, that someone did see that but thought it was a choice. Sure. See, um, I, you know, honestly, I mean, I, 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 all along, I'm, I'm like, well, it's not going to look perfect. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but my sense is that unless people know to look for an effect, it's not going to register as, oh, my God. That's a CGI person. It's just a whole new version of, well, that makeup was okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? It happens all the time where someone plays an old version of themselves, you know, even like Back to the Future too, yeah. right? With the old, you know, it's like, that makeup's a little shoddy, but I love this movie. We're, we're getting there though, you know? I mean, I think that uh, uh, if if this is a, a, a dress rehearsal of where we're at right now, I mean, give it another couple of years. I mean, look how quickly this technology is changing. Look at look at Jeff Bridges and Tron like five mm-hmm. years ago, and compare that to this. You know, right? Compared well, and I to, mean that he didn't even that character didn't even speak a whole lot, which was sort right. of a way to kind of uh, protect yourself. But with this, I mean, they went full on. He's a main character. He has close ups. Yeah, um, it was pretty bold. You know, yeah. Um. And oh, and then I was going to mention, too, that uh, there was an article that came out today that Martin Scorsese might actually use the same technique in uh, his upcoming film, The Irishman, de-aging De Niro. Oh, wow. So, so that's, I mean, this is, yeah. This so is where so we're now, we know, well, now we know why Scorsese hasn't worked with De Niro in so long, because really he only wants to work with the young De Niro. <laughs> right, right. And now that he can, he's like, uh, hey, 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 come back, come back. See, so, I mean, but he would need to have somebody be like... The, the stand-in, yeah. I mean, yeah, you'd think so because I mean, De Niro is what in his seventies. I mean, yeah. I mean, even your your posture changes and your yeah. I mean, you yeah. You, if you're how old he is, I mean, you can't pass for you know. Right. You know, talking of Rogue One, I don't know if you've seen this, but the reaction online seems a lot more polarized than I expected. I. That's interesting because I walked out of it, and you know, people have heard our review of it, and we really liked it. Yeah. But we had our our nitpicks, and I didn't expect people to have as many nitpicks as we did. And yeah, when they did, I was like, oh, interesting. Like this movie isn't where you talk about this a lot. When Phantom Menace came out, like no one wanted to not like it. Right. 
and I this one didn't feel that that was the case. Like people felt comfortable being like, yeah, it was it was fine. It wasn't my favorite, but I still liked it a lot. Right. You know, it's like they had an easier time with that. It, well, it's weird because I mean, there's what what's interesting to me is that certainly when I look at my own reactions, I feel like I was much more aghast over Phantom Menace than than I am now because now I'm kind of like, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. how I'm with the prequels in general. And I look at this Rogue One, and I'm like, well, some of the continuity is a little dodgy from this one to the next one. But, I mean, whatever, you know? Yeah, but I had a blast. And- yeah, and so, so the commentary I've seen from some people is like, no, you know, uh, it 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 ruins aspects of A New Hope. And I'm mm. like, really, ruins? I mean, you know, like, I don't know. And and uh, th- that's that's my point. I mean, I, I was not expecting as much of like, oh, my God, it sucked, or oh, it was boring, or I wanted to walk out. That's really surprising to me. Yeah, me too. You know? Yeah. What's wrong with people? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, now uh, really, real quickly, one point we didn't discuss at all about Rogue One was was Riz, um, uh, who plays uh, Bodhi Rook. <clears throat> yeah, we talked about that just in uh, texting or something like that, maybe or over Facebook. But uh, yeah, it was funny how we we forgot to mention him. But he, I thought he made a really memorable impression. He, he I mean, I don't think they gave him as much to do as they could have. Yeah, you know what, maybe that's it. Like, you don't walk out thinking about him, but I've seen the movie twice, and both times when he's on screen, I've thought, like, I've really captivated by what he's doing Yeah, that, as an actor. Yeah, and, and I mean, I th- I think that, um, you know, there's definitely, his moment of, of, of death is kind of, there's there's a poignancy there. Yeah, and he even has, like, a little bit of a Doc Brown moment, right, when he's pulling that cable and it gets caught right on the thing i thought they're going to make more of a meal out of that yeah um, well and, and I, i'm assuming they would have but there was like five other yeah. pieces of story that they needed to cover yeah. uh, i i will say though just just uh in 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 general i mean riz ahmed is a really talented actor and he, he posted a thing on instagram the other day about how he was a little kid who went to see the empire strikes back and he drew a little pictures of luke skywalker and darth vader and he found those drawings Oh, funny! And he pulled him out, and he's you know he 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 wrote about just being on you know the Jimmy Fallon show a few weeks ago and this and that and sort of seeing where his life has taken him mm-hmm. and how you know back then he's drawing pictures of Luke Skywalker and whatnot and then now he's in this universe. Yeah, you know, and and certainly for me, uh, I I love the fact that I can take my kids to a Star Wars movie where, with the person uh, of, of uh, you know, Pakistani descent, somebody who looks like them, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, and there's somebody who they can relate to in, in Star Wars, you know? Totally. So um, I just thought that was really cool because I, you know, that's, that's something that th- this is, this is a universe that kids of all over the world feel ownership in. Mm-hmm. And kids mm-hmm. of all ages, for that matter, you know. Yeah. So just something really cool about that. Yeah, very cool. You know, but that's a good place to wrap up this uh, uh, twofer episode this week. Yeah, uh, we definitely covered a lot of ground. I think we spent a lot more time talking about transformers and emojis than <laughs> anyone expected <laughs> going into this thing. Yeah. 
But uh, this is our last episode of 2016, and uh, you know, just just as we wrap things up, Brian, rather than doing the usual hype up thing, what is one movie resolution that you have for 2017? Movie resolution. What do you mean? Like, do some, you have one? Some. Well, no, I was gonna like, <laughs> think about mine while you were yeah. saying yours. Like, like movie related. Um. I don't know. I just, I know this isn't what you were asking, but uh, going back to Unbreakable, which I didn't expect to do twice in this episode, um, I just found myself really stirred by it. And Mm -hmm. I was talking about this with someone, how a lot of people love movies, obviously, lots and lots and lots of people. And you and I in particular, of course, love them because we can talk about them for (laughs) this much every other week. But I just love I love the medium. I love the stories. I love getting swept up in the how they all come together between the music and the visuals and the actors and the whatnot. And I'm just uh, I'm really looking forward to another year of uh, stupid comedies and dramas and things that you know thrillers and whatnot. Like I'm just looking forward to a whole another year of getting swept up in stories and things that make me think about. They get it make me forget about my life and things that make me look at my life in a different way. So I just I love movies. Can't nice. wait for, for another year of them. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I guess for, just to piggyback off of that, you know, for, for me, uh, one thing I'd like for this coming year is for every big Hollywood blockbuster that I watch, I want to watch one independent movie hmm. that's off the beaten path. Yeah, and that's hopefully good that I can point people towards. Uh, in addition to sort of the the big hype machines that people are going to watch anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it just seems like there's more opportunity for that between, you know, these really quality movies showing up on Netflix and Amazon and all sorts of different avenues. Yeah, it's true. It's It's going to be a fun year. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. But we'll be back in two weeks with our best of 2016 episode. Woot! So it's already, you know, so, so, so be, be putting your list together, Brian. I'll be, I'm already working on mine. Yep. Same. But, uh, as we wrap things up, uh, if you want to reach out to us here at the movie film show, you can email us moviefilmpodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit like on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash moviefilmpodcast. Uh, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at Zachy's corner. That's also my website, Zachy's corner.com. And that's also my Instagram handle. You can find my movie reviews at, uh, Huffington post and, uh, uh, the movie film podcast goes up there. And also the nostalgia theater show. Look for, uh, the next, Nostalgia Theater Show will feature my guest Zara Norbuck, and we'll be talking about the 30th anniversary of Stand By Me. <laughs> so, uh, l- looking back fondly on one of our favorite movies. But uh, with that, that's that's 2016. That's a wrap on 2016. But we'll be back in 2017 for episode 110. And uh, until then, my name is Aki Hassan, and on behalf of my co-host Brian Hall, this is mm-hmm. the Film Podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Welcome friends, it's the Movie Film Podcast. Podcast, enjoy the show.